All right, it's a Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On this week's episode, Allison Roman, author of Dining In, Highly Cookable Recipes. Allison used to work at BA. She was in our test kitchen for like four years. Now she's a contributor to the magazine. And what I loved about Allison then and still do now is that she cooks her way. You see an Allison dish and you're like, oh, that, that's a, that dish is so Roman. Her recipes are very much who she is. Uh, and that's a unique skill. And it makes for an amazing cookbook and uh, an amazing contributor to BA. So I sat down with Allison. Um, but you know what? I didn't sit down with her in the Condé Nast studios. Uh, we did this. We recorded this segment at the super swank new Sonos store in Soho. Uh, you know, so, you know Sonos. You hear them on our on our ad breaks all the time. And so they invited us over, and they had this cool glassed-in studio and like this wall of speakers and this amazing photo display of cool old punk rock guys and everything. So Alice and I met up there, uh, and we recorded this cast. All right, let's do this thing. Allison, you wrote a cookbook. Hi, Adam. I did write a cookbook. <laughs> I, yes. Harder than you thought, easier than you thought, or about what you thought? Much harder than I thought. Yeah. Really? Mostly emotionally, not not the physical labor, but the-, the What does that mean, emotion, <laughs> emotionally how? Um, well, I mean, the whole process is so isolating, right? You, I mean, it's, I think also comparatively, so coming from the magazine where you have a team of people that are always weighing in on, on your ideas and your dishes and what they look like and how they fit onto a page and the concept. <laughs> what, and Whether you want them li- to weigh in or not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's no fewer than like 18 people giving you an opinion. And when you're writing a book, you're by yourself and you, it's you and your laptop. And in my case, my cat, and we're sitting there and it's kind of like, Oh, I hope this is good. And of course, my editor was great, but even still, then it's just two people. Yeah, my wife, who you know a bit, Simone, um, she's an artist, and that's one of the things that she always says: "It's like, dude, like you're in, you're by yourself mm-hmm. in your studio all day. Yeah, and it, like you have nowhere to go and nothing to escape your own head. Yeah, it became there were a few points where that was much harder than." the physical act of developing recipes, which I'm very comfortable with and and can do. And that was sort of the easiest part. Like, I know what I like a plate of food to look like and taste like and how how easy it is to execute for the home cook. That stuff is the easy part. It's um, everything else, you know, is this recipe challenging enough? Is it simple enough? Is it trendy enough, but also timeless enough? And you're kind of trying to hit the middle of every single sweet spot. Exactly. What makes a recipe feel now? What makes it feel new, but not too new? Yeah. And makes it work accessible, but not too easy. Yeah. Um, typically, so when you worked at Bon Appetit and, and the, paint, the picture of the test kitchen in the World Trade Center is a big room with open windows overlooking the Oculus and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you have four or five test kitchen editors in there cooking. You've an got, espresso machine. Yes, an espresso machine. You have guys like Camille Stonic just wandering down to just <laughs> nibble and chat. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had no shortage of people to sort of bounce ideas off of. But right. while writing the book, if who were the people who are the people you would get on the phone or would you email some or you know, who are who are those sort of sounding boards? Well, I mean, you have so much food that you're cooking that you have to have people over. You mm-hmm. have to say, Hey, Sunday, what are you guys doing? Come over. I don't care what time you come over from this hour to this that's, hour. That's, it's, I mean, it's weird. I didn't get well, that email. I don't know. You know, Maybe. it was a select group of people. Mm. It was, they were screened beforehand, <laughs> uh, you know, a vigorous. You want to just regular, pe- regular people yeah, who are not you know too refined. Much, Adam. Yeah, exactly, you know too yeah. much. Mm, okay. I needed the every man. <laughs> um, your clothes are too nice. It's just, it's too much. But, um, but yeah, so having friends, some in the industry, some not, 
um, to kind of weigh in and so weigh in after they were recipes were developed, not while you well were while sort of I doing was it. testing. And yeah. there were a few that I would cook for people, thinking they were going in the book. And I, after making them and kind of seeing the reactions and my own reaction, I was like, "This is not good. It's not good." Name a couple. Uh, there were a few fish dishes that I really struggled with. Uh, we're going to get my, to my we're boyfriend. Get loves, to the fish. Yeah, my boy. Oh God, my boyfriend <laughs> loves almost everything I've ever made, and there was one thing I made, and he didn't really eat any Ooh. of it. And I thought to myself, I really blew it. What this was is it? it? I forget. I I blocked it from my memory. <laughs> I uh, I don't like to acknowledge my failures. Um, no, um, it was some sort of. I wanted to make like a sheet pan fish situation where. It's just, all fish? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. no, no. Fillets. Mm-hmm. And they're just not that good that way most yeah. of the time. And I tried it a few different ways. You don't and, get that like that crispy pan situation. Yeah, it's not or, it's neither soft and tender nor crispy and, yeah. and delicious. It was sort of eh. All right. So I, I have a lot of thoughts on the book. I want to get to them. <laughs> I want to hear them all. I, you see all my little stickies? Yes, I got a lot you, of little post-its. Yeah. For those of you at home, Adam has the book in his lab with many post-it notes. Um, but before we get to the book, let's rewind a bit if okay. we can. Yeah. Like um so how did you get to this point where you're you're all of a sudden someone who can write a cookbook and have a name for yourself and like be a yeah, – if, if you're talking to someone on the airplane, they oh, what do you do? What do you, what do you even say right now? You know what? I, I say uh, – I, I basically jumble my words and, and sort of say too much and not enough and they still – they're like, wait, so what do you do? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm a food writer, but I develop recipes, but I also wrote a cookbook and I just do general food stuff. And they're like, what does that even mean? They're like, you're a caterer? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Let me start over. I, uh, because I feel like now – it's a lot more common to ask somebody, what do you do? And to have them have not a traditional answer. Yes, not a nine to five answer. Right. You know, they they do a little bit of this. They do a little bit of that. And most people get to have the luxury of saying something like, I'm a creative person or I'm a creative period. Or Is there anything I'm worse than that director. phrase? I'm a creative. So I'm, I think I'm going to go with food creative. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I would never say that. Um, I, I generally say food writer or recipe developer. Yeah. But recipe developer sounds so boring. And when I think of food writer, I think of like a real writer who writes about food and I don't put myself really in that camp. So, But you are, if I may say, you are a good writer. Oh, for you. someone who cooks first and is probably a cook first, mm-hmm. like you're someone who was able to put into words well what it is you're doing in the kitchen. Thank you. So that, that was the start of your cooking grace. So where, where were you at school? In Santa Cruz. Okay, at UC? At, yeah, well, nope. Cabrillo oh. and then Santa Monica College and then I took a class at Santa Cruz. But So at some point you said, college is fun and all, but I want to be cook. Yeah, kind of? I mean, it's like everything. It's a long story, but um, basically, I was I had this older boyfriend, and he was really into cooking and food, and he was an, he was a creative, if you will, <laughs> but he was really into food, and we would spend all of our money going to this one restaurant in LA. And what restaurant? It was called Sona, which has since oh. closed, but oh. it was a great restaurant and lots of you know, like the whole James Beard Award and Best New Chef and lots of press, and they did really well, and then. Uh, it kind of fell apart. That'll happen in the restaurant business. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Again, another long story. But uh, so I went and I just thought about it and realized that I saw people around me in college being really excited to be there and realized that I wasn't. And Mm. I don't, it was partly socially and partly I just couldn't feel anything for it. And in order to really go put myself into it, I really felt like I needed to uh, be emotionally invested. And I wasn't, but I was emotionally invested in cooking and food. And so I went and I did the research and thought, okay, I'll go to culinary school, but I'm going to go talk to this chef at this restaurant that I like and ask their opinion. And he didn't have any time for me, but I did get to talk to the pastry chef who said, 
that's great. Why don't you not go to culinary school? He said, why don't you come and work for me and I will pay you to cut marshmallows or do whatever it is that I need you to do because we need help right now um, at our bakery. And if you like it enough, you can go to culinary school because so many people spend the money. At the time, I think it was 40 or 45 grand for like a nine-month course. And they do all the work and then they graduate and they can't find a job. They find out they don't like working in a restaurant anyway. And then they're kind of, you know, effed, if you will. And um, so I said, okay, so I'll try that. And I told my parents I was moving back from Santa Cruz and I was moving (laughs) back to LA and I was going to go work in this restaurant. And as I say in the introduction of the book, my mom, I think, literally burst into tears and was and told me I was going to work at Hot Dog on a Stick. <laughs> She's like, you're going to – that's what you're going to do with your life? And like, no, mom, that's not what I'm going to do with my life. She Because at the time, also, being a cook was not cool. There was no – there was a food network, but it was for moms. Yeah. And being into food wasn't that interesting. It was for people that could afford it and for – which generally meant somebody older. Um, it wasn't a cool thing that anyone really knew about. And now you have like, or, or, or I mean, yes, like we love the word cool, but it's also it wasn't in that sense of like, oh no, you can have a dynamic career that can lead to yeah. many different opportunities right. by getting into the food world. Right. But even now I think if you hear, oh, someone's a pastry cook or someone's a cook at this great restaurant, it's cool, right? You yeah. think, oh, that's a cool job. Something they're a cool to a, person. Something to aspire they have to. tattoos, they're interesting, they're they're an artistic, thoughtful person. And I think before I used to think, oh, you're a cook. Like, there was a a different stigma, a different relationship to people that had that job. Um, So first day of work, did you love it? Or were you like, oh, my God, what am I doing? uh, I loved it, and I cried. Mm. And then I cried every day for at least a few weeks. I would Because the restaurant was in walking distance to my new apartment in West Hollywood. And I remember just leaving every day around 4.30 just in tears because I sucked. I was not good at my job. (laughs) I, I messed up every day. And it was kind of like— So why would you keep coming back? Because I loved it. I loved it so much. And I also hated the fact that I wasn't good at it yet. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be. I wanted to be better than anyone there. And I was the worst person there. So I knew I had a lot of work to do, but I also knew I could be good at it. It so didn't seem unattainable. What was—do you remember that one day where you are like, oh, wait, I can do this? Uh, probably the first day I didn't mess up. <laughs> do, you re- do you remember what that day um, was? Or did you I cook don't. a particular day? dish or dessert that you Well, there was a particular day that somebody taught me how to make ice cream, like taught me what to look for when making like a creme anglaise. And it was someone that had always been very mean to me because I was messing up so much and I was making their work harder because they would have to That's I mean, like in a me. kitchen, if you're screwing up, someone's got to Oh yeah, everyone carry, was cover you. taking care of me. I was also yeah. younger by everybody by about 10 years and, and Yeah, makes their job harder. Yeah, people did not have time for my shit. Yeah. And uh I remember they took the time to kind of show me how to make ice cream, and I thought, wow, they, I must be okay, or I must be worth being invested in. And to have somebody kind of take you under their wing and teach you how to do something is a real boost for your morale, to, to think somebody believes in me enough to spend the time to teach me rather than just say, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I, I would say one big thing about sort of being a manager of employees and stuff, like, I mean, such an important ingredient is does this person really want to be here? Mm-hmm. Are they really willing to learn? Yeah. And are they psyched to walk in the door every day? And if they are, you at least feel like, all right, I can teach. Them. Right. And yeah. I did. And in regardless of whether at first I was good or not, I read every cookbook I could get my hands on. I, I showed up early to go to the farmer's market, carry groceries back. I stayed late to help clean, to like work off the clock, to do other things. I, I was very much in it to win it. And all I right. think that they could tell. So you're at Sona for how long? I was there for almost two years. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah. then when, when did you move to New York? Uh, well, I moved to San Francisco after that. And then, and I was there for almost four years. And oh, wow. so I moved to New York almost nine years ago. 
Shabby will be nine years, which basically means 10 years, which basically means I'm a New Yorker. Did so. you live in, did you work at restaurants in New York? Uh, I worked at Momofuku. Okay. I worked for at Milk Bar. Okay. And then you came to BA mm-hmm. in, what year was that? That was 2000 and, oh, Ish, 12, 11, 12? 12, somewhere around yeah. there. Okay, so you're at this point now where you, you, you go solo, mm-hmm. get your solo career going. Yeah. Uh, let's talk, so Dining In, this is a book. Um, this book feels very Allison. If you know Allison, you look at it, you're like, oh, it's cool. But like I said, it's, it's a, it's a little loose, but not too loose. And it's like, like something to sort of like, I want to make that, but it's like, oh, I can also, that doesn't look too hard yeah. to make. I can, I can do this. Yeah. Um, talk about this sort of the inspiration for the book and, 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 and what the sort of the general philosophy behind it is. Uh, well, that was sort of the hardest part is thinking, what is the book? I knew I was going to do a book. I knew someone wanted me to do a book. Um, I was really lucky. My editor, who's the vice president at Clarkson Potter, approached me and said, I love your recipes. Let's do a book. And I was like, but I don't have an idea for a book. She's like, it doesn't matter. Your recipes are great. You can do a book. So I spent a lot of time agonizing over like what it was going to be, if there was a hook, if there was a thing. And I just felt like that was really pigeonholing me. And that's not me anyway. I'm kind of all over the place, which is great. <laughs> um, but so I really wanted it to be, I wanted to create a book of recipes that people were actually going to use. I wanted to create a book that people were going to reference to cook from, to look at a recipe and be like, oh, I don't have eggplant, but I like the walnuts that go with the eggplant. I'm going to make that instead and do it with green beans because she says I can't. And kind of adapt it and make it their own and feel like, like you said, this isn't, I don't need 20 ingredients. I don't need four hours. I don't need like a beautiful barn house that I, you know, is like. But, but how awesome would it be if you had if a beautiful has a barn, barn house, house that I could use? Hi, Ina. Hi, Ina. Hi, Ina. <laughs> but yeah, I wanted it to, I wanted people to look at it and feel like, oh, this is, this feels contemporary, but it also feels attainable. Yeah. What I like about it, so, so it's called Dining In, mm-hmm. Highly Cookable Recipes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool because it's like, it kind of suggests entertaining but it doesn't necessarily say entertaining like this could be for two people or mm-hmm. if you want to have friends over we did a piece in bon appetit in october with you called uh it's not entertaining it's having people over but that's true though it's like don't get this you don't have to plan a menu and you right. don't need to set the table it's like you can just spend time with your friends and you write about that in the intro which i really like talking about yes you, you love going out to dinner and you love going to this amazing ramen place or bone marrow on toast but like there's something about dining in and just mm-hmm. buy it with your your boyfriend, with your parents, with your friends. Yeah. Um, I went to a friend's house for dinner on Friday night and I got there and after like a, I hate to say like a trip, like after a long week at work, but it was just like, it was so nice to like, just get to a friend's house and take your shoes off and just hang out in the kitchen yeah. and have a drink. And I, I'm so glad, I was so like, so glad not to be in a restaurant right now and mm-hmm. waiting to be seated and the whole party's not there. And then do I really yeah. want to order a glass of wine for $17? No, no I the don't. The answer is no. Yeah. Uh, the answer is never. Um, and it's just like there is something about just being in someone's house. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, I, I think so often we think of, okay, you can have a really great, amazing meal at your favorite restaurant, or you can order seamless uh, and or, you know, cook brown rice with vegetables for dinner. Like there's no, people don't think of it often as having the same kind of experience at a restaurant that you can actually have at home without having a restaurant background, without having access to the equipment and the ingredients and the sourcing. And it can be as fun and elevated and elegant and, you know. Easy. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk <laughs> some specific dishes. Kind of break it up into vegetables and salads, and you got grains and pasta and meat and fish. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So there's a shot here by our friends Braden and Harriet, great photographer duo. Amazing. Um, turmeric roasted carrots with seeds and labna, and basically it's just like a sheet tray of really pretty carrots from the green market. Some purple and orangey and darker orange, and a bunch of seeds on there. Um, 
And it's like, I just remember like at Bon Appetit sometimes you're like, sometimes you would look at a recipe and you're like, well, is that enough? I mean, is it, is it, is it clever enough? Is it different mm-hmm. enough? But it's like, sometimes it's like, it, you look at that and people would say, oh, I can make that. And that's mm-hmm. like, well, that's kind of the point. Right. It's like, you want people to make it. You don't want people to look at a recipe and be like, oh my God. Right. That looks amazing, but there's no way I'm going to make it. Yeah. I think oftentimes as a, as a cook or a chef or whatever you want to call it, you have this, uh, thing inside of you that says, I want people to know how creative I am. I want people to know that I'm really thoughtful and I really am pushing it. And is that enough? And we could take it to the next level and this isn't boring and you've never seen this before, but that's almost never what people are going to make. And I I think that- It looks looks beautiful on a magazine page. Yeah. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. But are you going to cook it? Are you going to make it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we also, living in New York, working in a magazine, you take for granted how many people don't know certain things and you take for granted that oh everyone's already heard of labna everyone already knows that you should roast your vegetables but also even if it's easy like first the the carrots like so i have some good friends who have a garden at their weekend house but they don't really cook much it's a long story but anyway so is it in a garden no but it could be um it's like we were over there one time and i'm like oh what do they have in the garden they had a bunch of these beautiful little carrots and i'm pulling them out of the ground you're like this is amazing like beautiful baby carrots sort of thing and back to the land and they're cooking they're like what are you gonna do with those i'm like i'm just gonna roast i'm like we don't have time and i'm like it's fine i cleaned them split them and like kind of lengthwise threw them on a sheet tray with some oil roasted them put some sort of seasoning on them and they're like oh my god these are amazing how did you do that like email me can you tell explain to me was it you adam or was it the carrots from the ground (laughs) no no, that's what i'm saying i'm like Yes, I put some carrots on a sheet tray in the oven with some olive oil and salt. Right. And like, th- to them, that was like mind-blowing. And, and it was delicious. They're yeah. like, you don't always have to do a lot. Yeah. But it's like taking that step and how do those carrots go with everything else on the mm-hmm. table? I think almost any dish in this book could be sort of tweaked one notch above or below. You know, oh, I could add a, I could have added grated ginger to the lemon tart. I could have added this to that. I could have. Let me ask you a question. Emma here, our producer, Emma, Emma Wartzman, uh, she had a good question in terms of as when you cook something, when you create these dishes, how much do you expect the reader to cook the dishes as is, or how much do you hope that they riff on the dishes and sort of go their own way? Uh, well, in, quote, in the uh, head note. That was a Fleetwood Mac reference, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, oh you're you know I'm way. a huge fan. I did. Um, I think that in I try to be as instructive as possible in the recipe and, you know, with sidebars and kind of in the recipe or in the head note kind of saying feel free to not make this with the recommended dressing or feel free to take this dressing and use it on a million other things like XX or X. But I think that my hope is that you do riff and you do make it your own and you kind of find inspiration in the whole vibe of the book and the aesthetic and the voice that inspires you to kind of do your own thing with it. I I don't think that anyone should only cook to the letter of the law in any recipe. I think that recipes should be used mostly for inspiration. Um, Also, like, you know, if you're the kind of person that really loves to just cook from a recipe, this book will also be great for you because they all the recipes work yeah. and, and you should and be able doable. to have great success with um, them. But if you're thinking, oh, so I'm doing a collaborative dinner um, with Tusk Restaurant in Portland in a few weeks. And, um, you know, sort of I gave them the book and they looked it over and the chef, Sam, he said, OK, great. Like, let's do this dish and this dish. And for this dish, let's do the preserve lemon labna with the beets and let's do this with that. And I've got this hummus sauce that would go great with that. And you know, it's kind of cool to see somebody look at the book and say, okay, we're going to put a different spin on each thing. Yeah. Or seasonally, like yeah. that, that that summer, that, that recipe that is very summer centric, I love, but what if we take a different, a, a fall exactly. vegetable and sub it yeah. in? Yeah, but the spirit is the same. And I think that's the most important part. Um, speaking of labna and nowness of recipes, <laughs> I, all right, your very first recipe in the book, vinegar roasted beet with spring onions and yogurt. Now mm-hmm. you have like a veritable like 
mattress of swooshy mm-hmm. yogurt with some roasted beets and sort of spring onion shawty sort of things and herbs. Um, I, I the look, let's talk about yogurt. <laughs> I could talk about yogurt all day, Adam. I'm so but, glad you asked. But what? ten years ago, no one was eating yogurt on a plate with vegetables. At least well, in this country, people no, were. No, it was not. It not. was not a thing, and now it is like. But mostly now it's because you know why? Because the yogurt you could get was YoPlay, and it was flavored with strawberries. Yes, and I almost net. If you did see plain yogurt, it was for diet foods or smoothies, and it was runny, low fat. It low fat, yeah, or it had vanilla in it for some god awful reason. But you couldn't find just delicious, thick, creamy yogurt. It was like you had sour cream and you had strawberry yogurt, and that was kind of it. I mean, I was, you know, eight, but I'm imagining. 25 years yeah. ago, that that was sort of the norm. And now you go to the Whole Foods, or even my bodega has four different types of full-fat Greek yogurt yeah, with different thicknesses and acidities and flavors. And, you know, that it to is, me is it really is cool. fascinating how sort of on point the people are who stock oh my God. the corner it's a real delis in New York spawn, City. You know? it's I mean, like, but they know exactly what to get. It's like, like being at a wedding and having one of those DJs that will take every request. I have my yeah. bodega. If I ask like, them to stock shit, something. I need some sumac. And the they're like, oh, day. we have sumac at the corner deli. Yeah, it's it's insane. I know. Um, I'm kind of bummed that you have this cool sidebar called I Love Boiled Potatoes. And then next to it, you have a recipe called Crispy Smashed Potatoes with Fried Onions and Parsley. But there's no photograph. I know. I, you know what? It's my big, probably my biggest regret of the whole book. And it's because I didn't think that it was going to be that interesting in the grand scheme of things. And then I, I, so I did these videos that are coming out soon for like, I did a few recipes of from the book. Um, it's kind of like a trailer. And I made the crispy smashed potatoes with the onions as a sort of, you know, apology for not including them in the book because <laughs> they look so crazy delicious. So I think for my second book, I'm going to have to do a version of them and kind of reference um the book one as saying uh, apologies. Now, so we all make mistakes. I know, I know, it's hard. It's like if you go to the uh, that new slash old restaurant in New York, uh, the Grill, which is where the Four Seasons restaurant used mm. to be, and it's sort of the most elegant, grand, glamorous restaurant in New York City right now. But what I love about that, if you get like the prime rib on the side, they just have boiled potatoes, yeah, with some fresh herbs and mm-hmm. butter, and it's just like perfect and simple, yeah. And you're like, boiled potatoes are great. And you can 2018, you, the year of the boiled potato. And as you point out, you can have them. You can put them in a salad niçoise. You can smash them and fry them so they get all crispy. And that's mm-hmm. a great I feel technique. like it's actually a very Adam thing to do is put boiled potatoes in your fridge because you you do like a I, full, versatility. Full, 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 full confession. Full, Disclosure. Full whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm terrible with the fridge. Like I don't, I don't cook. Like I don't. Like you don't put stuff in it or you forget when you do? Yes. Or? <laughs> yeah, like I roasted a chicken on Sunday and now it's sitting in there, but I'm going out. I have a thing tonight, tomorrow night, and the next night. Mm. And I'm, but I'm going to be home the next three nights after that. But then you have a five-day-old half a chicken. Who and makes I, that? Yeah. Uh, I hear you. Um, oh, all right. So I got a bunch of other things. Um, okay. Apple and endive salad with parsley and salted almonds. Mm. What I love, I'm big into this. Just like crushed toasted nuts on everything. Put it on everything. I mean, yeah. from pastas to salads yeah. to grain salads. Why not? Yeah. Well, that's so that's a – okay. So when writing the book, another thing that you have to think of, which I think is something that you think about a lot when you're in a magazine. But if it were up to me, everything would have yogurt and crushed nuts on it. <laughs> like just every dish is good with one of those two things. And you have to kind of pull yourself back and say, okay, there's a time and a place. And if, they, if someone picks up this book and they're like, wow, this – this girl's really all about one thing, and I get it, and I don't need to buy this book. You kind of need to leave a little bit of mystery. So I couldn't put toasted nuts on everything, and I couldn't put yogurt or labneh on everything. So every time it is in the book, it really counts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out on something. Okay. All right. I can't wait. I love this I part. I know. 
Okay, you, did you food salad the books yourself? I did. Okay, you did a great job. Thank you. But I but I messed up somewhere. No, it's just like, this is something like I said, this is something we deal with at Bon Appetit also. Like yeah. you want the food to be beautiful, but you also want it to look like real. Like I just made this and you can make it. Um, I did just make it. Yeah, but you did not dress these salads. Yeah, I did. No, there's no there's no dressing there. Like you put the leaves in, you could tell. Well, the parsley may not be dressed, but the this is. Where's oh the, uh, are you sure? I know yeah. we're looking. I don't know. There's like certain ones you can tell. Like look at the next page. Look at the next page with the, uh, you got some like blue cheese and. Well, the blue cheese isn't dressed here. If you read the recipe, Adam, uh, mm. you do what, You want me to read the recipe? Yeah, we're going to do dramatic look, I just, reading. This I just look at like the picture. What very it? home companion here. Um, you scatter the stuff and then you drizzle it the with vinegar and olive oil. So there's no tossing. And then you finish with the pecans and the cheese. So the pecans and the cheese never mm. get dressed. You're just literally okay. seasoning All the right. fruit. Calling me out. I learned that I did that piece, a little salad piece, last couple months ago. Oh, change the subject. Ignac- no, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> agreeing with you with Ignacio Matos, the chef over at Estella and Ultra Paradisa and Flora Bar, about sort of like the more of the drizzle, the dressing over the various components of the salad mm-hmm. and what each of those components is, as opposed to just tossing all together in a bowl. Right. And sometimes that's great for you know maybe a whatever sort of yeah. greens with like a little gem with you know seven goddess green goddess or whatever but sometimes yeah you just do the drizzle. Yeah. And that's I'm a okay. big fan of that because especially with those fruit salads a lot of those none of the almost none of them are tossed in a bowl. Um okay, can I be narcissistic here for a minute? Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like half this book you're just like, I'm going to do these recipes because Adam never would have let me done these recipes at Bon Appetit. Yeah, it was like I had your picture in my kitchen and uh, every recipe I thought of, I, I thought, would Adam have approved? If not, it's definitely going in the book. Well, you had the book. Where, where's your little note about what fish? What do you mean I would, you would have never let me? Well, no, because you, you, like, you, oh. you have a lot of like. Yeah, that's. I mean, that is true. Yeah. Like the sardines never, ever would have gone in the book. But also, I'm a late adapt, adopter of the sardine movement. And I think that it's worth talking about because. I think uh, I think people might be into them. Well, you write, if my years in editorial in the editorial world taught me anything, it's that for many people, fish for whatever reason is a hard sell. That was a personal dig, yes, at you. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. no, <laughs> no, no, no. I meant it's a it's a hard sell for most people. And you're right. It's like when we were thinking about the cover of the book, we're like, well, fish is out because no one buys a cover with fish on it unless it's a fish book. But all right, let's talk about this because it's interesting because people will. Order fish when they're out. Oh, whether boy, it, do what, people love salmon. Yeah, what, I mean, oh, man, they'll oh, man. They'll order salmon. They'll go to, like, the, the Nobu-type restaurants. Mm-hmm. They'll go to the seafood places on the coast or whatever. But mm-hmm. yet, what is it about cooking fish at home that people are intimidated by? Well, it's generally not as delicious as or easy as, like, cooking chicken. And I mm-hmm. think that's because most of the fish people have access to isn't great. Whereas a chicken breast from a great chicken and a chicken breast from an okay chicken, if you do certain things to it, will be generally good, right? Enough salt, some butter. Yeah, yeah, you know, it'll be good. But the difference between not good fish and great fish is oceans apart. Ooh, I like that one. Do you see what yes, it, okay. yeah. Uh, it's just, it, there's there's so two different beasts at that point that, you know, if I can't find good fish, I'm not making fish. So let's say, let's say, all right, let's say you want seafood, but you can't get a great piece of fish. What sort of recipes would you sort of advise in this book, you know? Like, hey, you don't have an awesome fish market. Is it buying clams? Is it shrimp? Yeah. Is it like, what I are some of those other seafood options? Uh, shrimp can be tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is a case by case basis for me. I think most, God, I mean, really, not none of it, and not even salmon, because to me, salmon especially, like if you really, that's a type of fish where you're really tasting where the salmon has been. Whereas, like a trout, to me, I grew up eating a lot of trout, 
And we would get it at Ralph's, which does Ralph's exist anymore? Does anyone know? In LA? Yeah. Okay. Um, And it wasn't a great fish market, but it was pretty good. And when you put a bunch of garlicky breadcrumbs on it and broil it, it's delicious. Mm. And, but salmon, even if you're doing certain things to it, you can kind of always tell if it's not, if it wasn't swimming in good water. You're like, eh, it tastes a little like murky or. I I will eh. say, let's talk about one particular salmon recipe. Um, We still in story idea meetings at Bon Appetit. I think the, one of the most referenced recipes is still your slow-cooked yeah. Yeah. salmon recipe. Can you walk us through that one? I can. And I, I wrestled a lot with whether I should put it in the book or not because obviously it's been published and yeah, people already good. like it. But yeah, but I yeah. so I, I say this has been published in Bon Appetit before. I kind of made it a little different. and Still your recipe. Yeah, exactly. So um, basically you take a very large piece of salmon. Um, it can be one and a half to two and a half. I've done it with a three pound fillet before. Do you have and, do you have thoughts about sourcing the salmon or the particular types you like more than others? Does it have to be wild? Is it, you know what I mean? Like do you have I like wild salmon. Mm-hmm. Um I was this is a different story, but I was fortunate enough to visit a farm in Norway where they farm salmon and it was some of the best salmon I've ever had. It was delicious. And I don't think as a whole farm salmon is bad. This was a a very uh, well-run fishery in pristine water, and they took really good care of the fish. And I saw where they were swimming, and it was they had a lot of space. It was beautiful. I would also say but when not bu- most farm salmon is like yeah. that. So, but I, I, I would just say when buying, you know, everything from fish, and the same thing with steak. There's also the eye test. Like you can see, in the yeah. does it look good or is it kind of pale and yeah? Soft I've seen wild mushy. salmon that looks ripped up and yeah. kind of dull and not delicious. Trust, trust, trust your instincts when yeah. you're buying seafood. Yeah, but also seafood's hard. We're we're you know, we're overfishing and yeah. it's a lot, a no, lot to absolutely. consider when you're buying fish. So anyway, uh, you take a piece of fish, Big salmon piece. here. It also works with halibut and cod okay. very nicely. And you cover it with a ton of olive oil. And from there you can add fresh chilies. You can add in the book, it's just fresh citrus. Um, I used a mix of Meyer lemons and blood oranges and satsumas, I think. And um, I was in California at the time that we shot that. So it was just citrus everywhere. It was amazing. Citrus for days. Yeah. And um and you slow roast it at what, 300? They're saying slow roast. They're ro- saying, is, uh, I say. Allison Roman says <laughs> preheat the oven to 300 degrees yeah, 300. and let it uh, cook the salmon until it is just turning opaque around the edges and is nearly cooked through about 20 to 25 minutes. Then toss the herbs with the lemon juice and flaky sea salt and serve with your perfect salmon. So you have like a sort of a herb salad. Yeah. And that's really all you need. And in the original Bon Appetit recipe, there's fennel and chilies and blood oranges, I believe. And you could certainly do any of that with this. Was, the, was the fennel in the original recipe, was that was the fennel cooked or was that sort of raw? It was cooked yeah. in with the dish. Yeah, it was sort of a one-pot dish. And I think one thing that I like uh, with these, and we've done a, we riffed another time on it, but you can also just sort of pull apart the salmon, almost mm-hmm. torn, that yeah. it doesn't have to be sliced perfectly. Yeah, I, I don't like things that are cubed or sliced or portioned perfectly, which is also why cooking salmon in fillets is hard for me. Um, and a reason I do like serving salmon this way, because you can kind of just take a spoon and it's really tender and it you can just take a little little piece. It looks really natural and kind of rugged. Um, all right, rugged let, salmon. Let's talk about, um, we have this great book, all these recipes, whether for two <laughs> or for ten. I still think entertaining is different than cooking. And for a lot of people, when you're entertaining, all of a sudden the pressure gets ratcheted up. Mm -hmm. You feel like, oh, my God, it's got to be perfect. And these friends coming over and -and so-and-so is a food writer. And if it's not good, like they're not going to ever come back again. And, you know, it's so what are some of your techniques or advice for the average home cook and how can they entertain better or more Uh, easily? Probably to relax a little bit and make sure the people that you're inviting over are not. I mean, unless it's like. 
somebody important that you have to invite over on behalf of someone else or something like that. I, I try to keep my house a very safe space where I'm not inviting anyone over. That makes me feel like I could feel bad about what I'm going to cook, <laughs> whether or not it comes out well or not, um, or judge me on it. Um, I try to only invite people that I know will appreciate what I'm doing, but also – you know, I don't want to feel self-conscious when I'm cooking. I don't want to feel tense or stressed out. It should be an enjoyable, relaxing experience and um, making sure that you have – to me, the most important part of entertaining is making sure the people that are there will get along without you and will have Ooh. a lively enough conversation mm-hmm. without you, can kind of carry on. I don't love to be – I love to host, but I don't love to be the host. Like matchmaker. And, yeah. Hey, like, have you met so-and-so? You yeah. guys have, both have kids who go to Yeah, and then school. I want to exit and cook in, in the thing and – in my kitchen alone. <laughs> but I like to get people together and I love it when I can hear them having a really good time without me. And then I'll be like, wait, are they having fun without me? Um, and then get, you know, FOMO and go in the other room. But I feel like that's the most important part. If you have a group of people that can't speak to each other and then yeah. you stress out because you're like, fuck, I got to finish this chicken and they can't carry on a conversation without me. And this is really stressful. But there's nothing worse than to be the person who has to fill in the gaps. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, oh, no one's talking at the table. So oh, um, okay. speaking of the table, do you set the table before friends come over? No. Well, I, have, I also have a small apartment. And so I can fit six comf- sort of comfortably at my table. Any more than that, um, it's, I put all the plates out, I put all the forks out, I put all the food out on the table and people take a plate and then they take, they make their own plates, sit on the couch, sit on a chair, sit on a pillow. Um, we're hanging out here at the Soto studio. Uh, I always believe that music is a crucial part of any dinner the most party. crucial part. Next to the wine. Yeah. Um, are you a playlist gal? Do you sort of like mix and match? Are you like changing stuff or what's, what's your I'm po- a mix policy? and match. I sort of, there are very few albums that I feel like I could play start to finish and feel mm, comfortable with. Yep. Um, but I'm also, I, I sort of use Spotify as a real crutch. Um, like playlist style yeah. or so-and-so. I, you know yeah. what I do sometimes? I'll do like, so I'm like a big Steve Earle fan. Um, oh, my yeah. dad also. Oh, that's gosh. not an age dig. Okay. I yes, just, it is. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> I don't mean, Well, that's a whole other sidebar we get into. Okay. But um, my, Marlon, my son now, he refers to like Steve. So I do sometimes do Steve Earle radio. Right, so you exactly. get all these different songs in that genre. And he's always like, Dad, can you please turn off the barn music? Yeah. Oh, man. My dad used to play and a lot of NPR. I grew up in Los Angeles. We had uh, KCRW, a great radio mm-hmm. station. And he would play KCRW. And boy, did I complain. It was just the worst thing that ever happened to me. And then he would put Bob Dylan on. And I just I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. And then I turned 16. I was like, Bob Dylan's pretty cool, Dad. <laughs> he's like, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was thinking, I think one thing with music um, – yeah, so I, I like to just have that. If you if you're one of those persons that happens to have vinyl, mm. uh, it's cool where guests can kind of get up and pick a record and flip it over yeah. and whatnot. I think that's a lot of fun. If you trust them, because yeah. I've definitely <laughs> damaged a record player before at someone's house doing that. Um, but I think uh, volume is also really important. Like mm-hmm. you want it loud enough that it sort of fills the gaps in the conversation, but you don't want it that loud. That it feels like a house park. No, and you have to kind of read the room, right? You and I'll start with a certain vibe, you know, when people uh, are coming oh, in, yes. and then towards the end of the meal after we've eaten, if there's dessert or you know amaros or whatever, then you kind of switch the playlist, you turn it up a little bit. You kind of it's a living, breathing thing, a party or or having people over anyway. You have to adjust, and you can't expect yeah. that one vibe is going to work through the whole evening because things definitely change. Hopefully they do. Well, it's also interesting because like sometimes the party stays around the table. Sometimes a, par- a party will migrate to the living room, you know, mm. like parties are sort of fluid or they should be. Yeah. I think. What about, all right, dessert. 
are you always is are you always is there always a dessert sometimes there's almost never a dessert really yeah but you're kind of a dessert person aren't you i, I thought, thought you were the dessert person adam no i'm not the dessert person what? okay well, i will say we'll this there later but... okay, wait can i have full disclosure yeah. full disclosure again whatever that word is phrase is <laughs> so last night i did not mix myself a cocktail when i got home i was like i felt pretty good about myself for not pouring myself a drink but then around 8 30 i'm like well i'm gonna go to the corner deli and get me a four pack of nutter butters yeah. I didn't have a drink tonight and I deserve a little something. Opposite of not drinking. Yeah. Um, I'm a pint of ice cream person on my everyday. Um, you have a pint of ice cream every day? No, 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 no. <laughs> my boyfriend does pretty much. So we go through a pint like every two days. Um, can we talk, can we talk ice cream? For some, what's, what are some of Benji's favorite like flavors or brands? He's pretty easygoing, but I, I sort of draw the line at flavors where I, I am an exclusive mint and chip fan. And right. you, I don't care you, what the brand is, but it has to be mint and chip. Well, can we talk McConnell's mint chip? Have you had McConnell's? I don't know. They're the ones from Santa Barbara or Santa Monica. Oh yeah, Santa I've Barbara. Had it. Yeah, I, I basically phenomenal. get what I can get at the bodega. Get, which try is that one again. Ben Very pale green, but the little flecks of chips sprayed throughout. Yeah, I think that that if you are lucky enough to ever have sampled a Thrifty's ice cream, um, mm. now I think they Rite Aid bought them out. But okay. Thrifty's, if you Southern California thing. Um, their mint and chip to me is the platonic ideal. Baskin Robbins also extremely I don't think it's, don't close. Think it's mint and chip. It's just mint chip. It's mint and chip. No, it's mint not. Mint and chip. It's, well, it's either mint chocolate chip or just mint chip. It's not mint and chip. We're going to need another Google on that. Yeah, we're going to go good. Well, listen, Baskin Robbins is like, okay. that's the that's the original. It's just the that's best. The and I know that I'm supposed to care more about like artisanally made small yes. batch ice cream. And but how did it get Baskin that Baskin Robbins is just the best. No. And I don't think you can top it. No, I, I would not. Um. Do you ever do that? Do you ever like just get a bunch of pints of ice cream, put them out, and let people sort of serve themselves, or make, or sometimes you make homemade cookies and let them do the ice cream cookie thing? No, no, because then the ice cream no. melts, and then you gotta, you know, I've done it occasionally. If I, I made brownies before and mm-hmm. stuff like that, Ooh, and you just put a little scoop on top. I just put the ice cream out, yeah. and people can scoop if they themselves. Want to. Yeah, I like but that. I'm also a big fan of of like pockies and weird wafer cookies. Oh, and, pocky sticks. Yeah, yeah. I, because I do end up testing a lot of dessert recipes. I have dessert sort of by default. Okay. Um. Pie is probably my favorite dessert if I'm going to make it, but I have to – I'll only make pie if I'm going to someone's house, and that's what I'm bringing. I won't make pie if you're coming over to my house. Oh, interesting. So if you want if you want a pie from me, invite me over. Invite Don't you. come All right. over. Yeah. All right. Okay, um, wait. Before we get to our lightning round, um, what about you, – you finish this book. It comes out now. I imagine the moment you finish your first book, you're already thinking about the second book. Yes. That's, That's a lot of true. pressure. It I is imagine. a lot of pressure. Yeah. So I, I go on a little book tour um, on the West Coast, which is about three weeks, and then I'll come back to the holidays. Then I'm going to do some East Coast dates in January. Um, East Coast dates, like I'm a band or something. I don't know. <laughs> Did I, you make a t-shirt yet? I didn't. I made a tote, though. They're real cute. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, immediately start sort of working on book two and conceptualizing and figuring out what it is and where I'm going to shoot it and who's going to shoot it. and um, just kind of all of that stuff. But I I put a lot of pressure on myself to think about that before, like a few months ago, and I realized I have to get through this process before I can really start to think about the next one. Much to my publisher's chagrin, I'm sure. Damn publishers. All right, lightning round. Are you ready? Yes. Either or questions. Okay. Got to answer them. Great. You can meander if you want, but uh, mm. or expound, I say. You can expound on an answer if you'd like. Okay. Uh, cast iron or sheet pan? Cast iron. A size preference? I use a 10-inch pretty much for everything. Um, 12 is a little too big. 
I did inch, a, you can fit a chicken in. I did a 10 inch and a, a roast chicken and a 10 inch yeah. every day. Yeah, and the 10 inch also you can fry four eggs in, which oh. is important. Jumpsuit or high-waisted jeans? Oh, my God, both. <laughs> you can only get one. Uh, high-waisted jeans, more versatile. <laughs> Shotter or beer? Beer. Do you have any fit? Well, I know you have a lot of Modelo in the book. I like Modelo. That's very Alex, like, very Alex Grossman of you, our, our former creative director. Well, I, I do everything for you guys. So uh, I was hoping to get some of that Modelo money, but they didn't. No, I'm just kidding. I did, it was not sponsored. Did not get any money for that. I just really like cheap, shitty beer. Yeah. As long just as, like as you. Long I know that we agree know. on that. Okay. As long as it's cold. I like the label also. Roast chicken or slow roasted pork? Roast chicken. Always. Always. Always and forever. Mm-hmm. Do you have a preferred technique or you, will you sort of play with different versions? I'll play with a lot of different versions. I like hot and fast. I like low and slow. I like spiced. I like salt and pepper. I like lemon under the skin. I like buttermilk brined. I like spatchcocked. I like yeah. – the only thing I won't ever do, I won't ever trust a chicken. You know, we, I was talking with Emil Stoniker, one of our editors the other day about that. And like, do you, I'm like, is it – do you really need to, you know? And like the, the, the return on investment, is it worth it? Also, like that whole thing where you're supposed to wiggle the legs to see if the chicken's done, you can't do that if it's trust. No, I think that's Martha's fault that we all trust our chickens. I don't think it's really necessary. France or Italy? Mm. Italy. All right, like that. Yeah. Hamburger or hot dog? Hot dog, always hot dog. I could eat so many hot, I, oh man, this summer I ate so many hot dogs. It was crazy. I recently have started liking cheeseburgers though, but only the- Okay, cool. Smash Burger. Can sorry. we talk about this? Yeah. So your nickname at BA was Hamburger Roman. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, by Andrew Nolte. At the time, you were not. You said you claimed you didn't like cheese. I didn't. I don't understand. Like, who doesn't like hamburgers? It, it, okay, so at the time, it was a lot of those restaurant style burgers where you have mm. like thick patty with Gruyere and bacon and a brioche bun and <laughs> onion so jam. Good. You gotta have the burger. Like a Bordeaux well, onion jam. Yeah, you don't gotta have the burger. I think those burgers are gross. They make me feel bad inside. I don't enjoy them. The bun is soggy. The meat is too much. The, it's just gross. But I do appreciate a very thin smash burger patty, In and Out style, Shake Shack style. You get the picture. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Beatles or Stones? Stones. Right Stones answer. Kill me. Uh, Beyonce or Solange? Oh. Oh. Both. You can't say both. I can. You get one. You get one, you get the key I both. just saw Solange in concert. In concert. Wow. Again, I am feeling very Was that, it? Was that Radio City or what? Yeah. Was it? it was amazing. She was, she really is a true artist. Uh, today I'm going to say Solange, right. but that doesn't mean anything bad about Beyonce, just know at home that I mean both. <laughs> order in pizza or order in Chinese? Pizza. Pizza. Your top, preferred toppings? I'm a cheese person. Just, yeah. I like cheese, maybe pepperoni. Mm. Any other topping, hard pass. I'm with you on that one. Blonde or brunette? Well, right now, blonde. <laughs> <laughs> sit at the bar or sit in a booth? That is so largely dependent on the space, but I always I love eating alone at the bar, or if it's a small intimate restaurant, eating at the bar because the booths are too crowded. Or There's tight. nothing like having a good bartender and eating by yourself, and the bartender who's looking out for you is a great mm-hmm. experience. Get a little book, yeah, you know, love it. All right, couple more lemons or radishes. Lemons. On it, you use a lot of lemons. So much. Yeah. It's it's my desert island ingredient. Like olive oil and salt, lemon, anything is good with those three things. I know that's a very obvious thing to say, but radishes. Run their course. I love a radish as much as the next person. I really do. They're not. They I, don't. I don't inf- they can't influence a dish as many ways. Yeah, as lemon I don't can. depend on them. Yeah, whether you're roasting if lemon. If I don't have or, a lemon for dinner, it ruins my night. Yeah, like yeah. the juice, the zest, roasting, all sorts the of things. Thing, yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote a book on lemons. <laughs> you did literally. Yeah, 
That was one of the short stack books. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. Scrambled or fried? Fried. Always. Well, that leads to the final question. Butter or olive oil? Olive oil. With eggs and everything. I, I go through so much olive oil, it is obscene. And butter to me is a real luxury item. And I only cook with butter when I feel like you can't use anything else. When I feel like it really makes or break the di- makes the dish, it has to really enhance it or it doesn't belong. All right, Allison Roman, her new book, Dining In, is out now. Thanks so much, Allison. Thanks, Adam. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.